Good morning. I thought I lost my message, but in internet hell, but I found it. (laughs) Happy Dad's Day, dads. We're delighted that you're here, and we're thankful, Lord, we're asking you to help us as dads to represent you, reflect you in our families and our lives. Our Father's Day gift to you this morning, one is I'm going to be, I'm going to try to talk fairly short today. That's always a crowd pleaser. And secondly, we've got meat wrapped up in bread for you. It doesn't get any better than that. All right, guys? Okay. So I want to just take a few minutes this morning and uh, talk with you about a central issue of our faith that I've drawn from a today's reading in the lectionary. The lectionary is a scheduled reading kind of list that's put together that is used in a lot of church circles. We uh, don't strictly stick to it, but we tap into it once in a while. And so this morning, I'm pulling from that lectionary from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So I'm going to read the text, and we'll back up into it, and you want to make some comments about it. Now, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not made by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, it is God who has made us for this very purpose. God did this on purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, we live by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body to be at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal. One version says our ambition. We make it our ambition to please God, whether we're at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, Paul brings out some very interesting things in here. A couple of them I want to sort of of dwell on and challenge us with. So we go back to the beginning of this text. He says, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, he's talking about the physical body. He said, even if the earthly body is destroyed, there's still something from God. There's still something eternal about us that's not built with human hands. It's the spiritual soul part of us. And he says in the next verse, meanwhile, in this body that has the eternal part and the natural mortal part, we groan. (laughs) I think this is very provocative that we groan. There's something that's longing in us. There's something that's upset in us. Something that's itchy in us. And he says, he tells us why we groan. He says the reason we're groaning is because there's a longing in us to be clothed from our heavenly dwelling. But in other words, there's, he's saying that the groan in us, the ache in us, the itch in us is really a signpost for eternal things. I'm not sure we all get that. I think, in fact, I'll share with you in just a moment, I think that most of the time we think the groaning, the ache, and the itch 
is just a sign that life sucks for us. And sometimes we run to inappropriate things to try to deal with that. But Paul is saying here, let me tell you, this groan in you is really a gift. It's a signpost for the eternal. And if you read the sign right, the achy, itchy, groany, longing part of your life, when you're quiet, when you're stressed, can actually be the trigger to make you run to the eternal. And he says, but what? But, but get the point here, is he's saying we groan and we're longing to be clothed with something else. What, he, what he's saying is we're longing for more than what we're currently experiencing, right? Because when we are clothed, he's talking about when the spiritual starts being tapped into, when the spiritual starts invading the natural, when the life starts swallowing up mortality, we're not found naked. It's a great metaphor. I hate naked. I'm so glad for clothes. The older I get, the more I treasure clothing. Gravity is a cruel thing. Young people don't know what I'm talking about. You poor, unfortunate souls. (laughs) When you're naked, you feel vulnerable. Uh, You want to cover? He's saying that on some level, we all feel vulnerable. We all feel naked. We want covering. There's something that's a little freaked out in us. It's the groan. It's the ache. And he's saying that's really a gift. For while we're in this tent, we groan and we are burdened. We groan and we are burdened. He's talking to Christians here. Most of us get that. We, we understand that something feels broken in us. We got this groan. We got this ache. There's this longing for more. But we don't, as I suggested earlier, most of us don't come to the same conclusion Paul tells us here. We, Paul is telling us that our internal ache, our internal groan is really an ache, a groan, a longing, a burden for something spiritual. Most don't make that connection. In fact, in another place in the New Testament, Romans 8, it says, we know that the whole creation's groaning as in the pains of childbirth. See, notice the groan is connected to something to occur. Those of you ladies who've gone through childbirth, it would really be a drag if you went through it for nothing. In fact, the reason you're laboring is because you have the hope of a child. He's saying the reason we're groaning, the reason we're aching, the reason we're longing is because we're expecting something. It's to drive us to an expectation. Not only so, he goes on, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even though we have the Holy Spirit in us, we still groan. There's still an ache. There's still a burden. But it says that we're to groan as we wait for something, just like the wife or the mother who bears a child through labor, that we are bearing this groan as we eagerly await the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. It's when somehow, again, the eternal meets the mortal. The eternal meets the mortal. The life meets the mortal. The great image for incarnation. The mystery of God becoming flesh. The mystery of the eternal entering into the scene and somehow making life pervasive there. That continues to be lived out in the Christian experience. There's something real that wants entrance into our world. 
The psalmist talks about the same thing a little more poetically. The psalmist writes, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. I used to read this and think, Oh, I want to feel that way. As though the psalmist was emoting this feeling about his religious inclinations. You know, that somehow he was just romancing God. Oh, God, you're my God. I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. I would try to grab that. Not understanding. I don't think he was being emotional here at all. I think he was being pragmatic. Because in the next part, he says, I live in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I think what he's saying is, God, I am broken. I am aching. And there's nothing here. I am thirsty. And there's nothing in this world. Everything I've tried, there's nothing that assuages the thirst. There's nothing that gets rid of it. There's an ache in me that nothing seems to abate. So you are my God. I earnestly seek you. My soul is really thirsting for you. Duh. My body's longing for you. That's what's going on. Because there's nothing else that will work. I think he's just being totally pragmatic. Not religiously inclined, having emotional inclinations at all. This is not sentiment. This is fact. Only God can scratch you where you itch. Right? This thirst, this ache, this hunger is always there. Just get quiet or get under stress or get lonely or get tired or be rejected or get hungry, you know, bored, and you'll see it. it it's like that, even though you're not always aware of it, it's like the ambient noise of a room. Just listen. This fan, buzzing of the lights. A little rustling of somebody messing around in here that should be listening instead of resting. Somebody's hungry. It's all there. Noise. See, if you're quiet enough and you get still enough, you will run smack into something in you that's broken hungry, aching. We all ache. We all hurt. The idea here is that there's something in us that doesn't feel right. And sometimes when we, 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 we feel icky inside and we, we, what we think is, well, it's because I've had a bad life. It's because, you know, things have happened to me that are hard or, or there's been abuse or there's been lots of problems and trouble. But the reality is if you would have had the perfect mom, the perfect dad, the perfect life, the perfect friends, and your nose was perfect, and your height was perfect, and you were just perfect weight and perfect proportions, life would still suck for you. You're in a dry and weary land. There ain't no water, baby. You're in a place where we need eternity. And the reason we have that groan and that ache, according to Paul, according to scripture, is so that it directs us to say, hey, nothing works here. But if you're not careful, what we end up doing is that we start processing that ache and allow it to move us to inappropriate things. We feel lonely. We feel icky. We feel achy. We feel itchy. And we think, I've got to do something. I've got to get something. I've got to. And and we run at things. I, I I don't know if you feel like this, but that's what I always did. Whenever I felt a little out of sorts, whenever I felt a little sad, whenever I felt a little groany, I always took it as a hall pass to the land of the naughty. What do you do when you get all out of sorts inside? You know, 
when you're uh, achy or groany? Do you go out and buy a new dress? <laughs> I saw that. You're going to hell. <laughs> Do you eat a whole case of Twinkies? Do you roam into fantasy or lust? Do you look for some place to party? Do you just start getting busy, 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 busy? So that you stay above the noise, stay above the noise, stay above the noise, get into perfectionism, stay above the noise? What do you do? See, those things are inappropriate responses. They're sinful. Because you're trying to deal with the ache, not by going to eternity and saying, I'm hopeless, I need you, but you're trying to deal with the ache yourself by trying to do something or run at something that you think might help you. This is the root of our sin. This is the root of our addictions. We rest in the idea that, that, that we know how to deal with the groan and the ache of our souls. That somehow, you know, while we're at home in the body, we're going to try to keep ourselves feeling better. So we run and we hide. We look for distraction. We try to let sin soothe what's going on inside. We fulfill the prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 2, 13. My people have committed two sins. One, they have forsaken me the spring of living water. I'm the one that would give them quench their thirst, but they're ignoring me. Instead, they dug their own cisterns. Cisterns are those things that would gather water and, and they, they, but they're broken cisterns. They don't work. Sin doesn't work. It can't hold water. And so our double sin is we've number one, not run to eternity. When we have the ache, it doesn't point us there. We're running ourselves, trying to take care of it ourselves. We're in charge ourselves, but we build cisterns that can't hold water. And all we do is with these repeating patterns of sin, they become addictions. And the groan that was supposed to be a gift to point us to eternity has now become the bell of Pavlov's dog that drives us to sin. And those of you that went to, uh, uh, it took college psychology. Remember the Dr. Pavlov, who was the researcher back in the 50s, 60s, who, who he would feed these dogs and uh, he was trying to study behavior and he'd feed the dogs and he rang a bell as he fed them for months. Feed the dog, dog would salivate, ring the bell. Feed the dog, salivate, ring the bell. And so then he stopped bringing the food. He just rang the bell and the dog salivated. See, what happens is that our souls, our groans ring and we immediately think, oh, I've got to be naughty. Oh no got to hide. And we run to our naughtiness because we think the ache is an evidence that there's something wrong with us. Well, there is something wrong with you. But the ache is a gift to remind you that what you need is beyond you. It's a reminder of the other, capital O, other, who when he engages with our lives, that in those moments of engagement, the soul is soothed. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul longs for you. My body thirsts for you. I'm in a land where there is no water. It's dry and it's weary. See, the scripture tells us that when we have the internal ache or the internal groan, that first of all, we just have to be honest with it. We have to embrace it. Back to our text, 2 Corinthians 5, 2. Meanwhile, we groan. Meanwhile, we groan. There's no denial here. We groan. 
You're not going to come and get a magic anointing with magic oil that we brought from an olive tree in Jerusalem for your gift of $2,000, and you're going to forever not groan. That's a lie. You're going to groan. And when we groan, it's the longing, he says, to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So you notice this directionality. Secondly, we are not only to recognize that we're groaning, we're to recognize what the groaning is about. This longing in us is not for sin. Sin doesn't work. (laughs) Sinning to get rid of the groan is like trying to scratch an itch in the middle of your back with a chainsaw. How how many of you know that if you try to scratch an itch in the middle of your back with a chainsaw, it will eliminate that particular itch? But it will do so much more. And after you tear into your flesh, and if you know anything about healing of the skin, whenever you tore in your flesh that place, when it starts to heal, what will it get? Real itchy. More itchy than the itch you started with. Sin doesn't work. It just makes you more itchy. And so what we have to do is to be a successful believer in Christ is we're to acknowledge our ache and we're to acknowledge that it's there to point us to another place. Not to sin. That's why he said back to our text, 2 Corinthians 5, 4, for while we're in this tent, we groan, we're burdened. Why? Because we don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal will be swallowed up in life. Now, or therefore, it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. See, what he's saying is eternity's real. The spirit is real. He's in our lives. We may be veiled to it. We may be cloaked and see through glass darkly. Doubt may seem like it's so easy. Listen, doubt, of course doubt is easy. That doesn't mean you just say, yeah, doubt is easy, man. Doubt, I should doubt all the time. Doubt is easy. Well, duh, of course doubt is easy. But something in us ought to stand up and say, but I live by faith and not by sight. I'm going to choose to believe instead of live in this doubt. Because there's something real there. (laughs) Incarnation's breaking in here. That's what's happening. He's saying, Hey, what are you doing, Pastor Ed? I lost my place. I'm not just tuning in. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 5. That verse we're just reading, and the next verse says, we live by faith, not by sight. Everybody say, we live by faith. Not by doubt. I mean, you can live in doubt. Don't do it. Don't yield to that. We live by faith, not by sight. You know what Thomas Aquinas said? He said, he's an old dead guy. Brilliant, though. Brilliant. Old dead guy. Um, But Aquinas said, faith is the beginning of eternity. We live by faith. One day when we enter eternity, do we live by faith anymore? No, don't need faith. When we get to eternity, when we get to heaven, or when heaven comes here and the resurrection and all that, whenever we meet, the eternal meets and, and mortal is swallowed up by life. Whenever that happens, you no longer have to live by faith. So living by faith here is the beginning of eternity. It's the only thing we have that connects us to eternity is we live by our faith. We have to remember that we're not just part of a natural order of things. We're connected with God. So we should orient our preferences. 
and, 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 and realize that we're here and when we ache, that we're to see that ache, that it's a longing for him. It's a longing for the Holy Spirit to appear in our lives. It's a longing for us to tap into with the eternal that is coming, but is here, but not yet here, <laughs> but is present. It's real. There's a great text in 2 Timothy 4. It says, now there is in store for me the crown of the righteous. You don't have it, but just listen to it. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only will he award me that crown, but to the crown will come to all those who have longed for his appearing. You listen, if you'll take that ache and interpret it not as a push to sin, but interpret it not as a bell to Pavlov dog it, but if you interpret it as, oh my gosh, I'm aching, I am longing for eternity. If you will dare to let the longing, that ache, that gift push you toward eternity, there is a crown for people that will dare to reinterpret what everybody interprets as sinful behavior, sinful nudging. If you will dare to, when you realize that you can be, begin to live with your groan opening your heart to God, you will go to a place where you're starting to want to please him. Where in your heart, you're not going to continue in the madness of sin, but you start orienting to please him. That's why the very next verse in our text says, so, because we're, you know, this, this idea of this aching and this thing, we make it our goal to please him. Whether we're at home in the body or away from it, we make it our goal to please him. See, when you rightly discern the ache, the next step is to say, God, I just want to please you. That's why First John, the writer, says this, how great is the love of the Father he's lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is because it did not know him. My friends, now we are children of God, and we will not, or what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him, that we're going to see him, purifies himself, just as he is pure. See, when you, when you interpret the, this longing, this ache, this groan as a push towards sin, you just fall into sin. When you interpret it, no, this, this is my gift from God to remind me that I need his presence, and I need the eternal. All of a sudden, you start moving toward holiness. The draw to holiness is not because you're trying to be nice. It's because you're responding to the groan and the longing for God in your life. And all of a sudden you start dealing with your stuff. And so here's my point. Either the ache in you, the internal brokenness in you. It'll either push you toward sin or push you toward holiness. That's my point. And having been a professional sinner, I urge you to let it push you toward holiness because sin makes you lose. And sin, I mean, it isn't that God doesn't forgive you. He does forgive you. But it's just a consummate waste of time. I mean, if you got on this building, it's not that tall. If you got on this building and jumped off, you know, it, it might actually feel kind of cool for a minute or less. The thrill of flight, pretending you're superwoman or man, right? But it doesn't end well. And after that little glorious flight, you're going to hit. We're going to have to call 911. We're going to have to take you to the hospital. You probably have broken bones, internal injuries. You might be in the hospital for a month. Now, you might have had a fun time, but how stupid is it if you got out and came back and did it again? Everybody would say, that's really stupid. But you know that most of the church, that's how we live. 
we get achy, we leap into sin, God forgives us, 911 Jesus, and God, forg- you know, we get back in church, you know, most of our time is spent to recover, and thank God, God loves us, and we do recover, and he's for us. But how long should we live like idiots? Because the bottom line is, God wants us to understand our lives are supposed to represent him, and we're supposed to be salt and light, and we're supposed to bring the kingdom to bear and make the world better. Not just live our whole lives trusting in just God repairing us. What a waste of time, which leads me to my final point. This whole text ends by Paul making the comment, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, this shocks Christians sometimes because they know how loving God is. But there's going to be a day when you will stand face to face with Jesus Christ. He's going to look at you. He's going to ask you, what would you do with my gift of life? What would you do with it? And there will be rewards for our good, and there will be recompense for our bad. I don't think he's talking about sin. Because for sin is forgiven, it's washed away. What I think he's talking about is how sin wastes our time. And if you're using grace to always restore instead of grace to build a solid life of good, it's not going to fare well for you. I mean, I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. I mean, I hope you are. But I'm telling you, some people, I think, are going to get in by the skin of their teeth because they have leaned so much on the mercy of God and never took their life seriously. Jesus said this, and it's a disturbing statement. In fact, it's one of those things I wish he wouldn't have said because it's depressing. It's Matthew 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, not everyone that prays the prayer. But only he who does, not just believes, but does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these spiritual things, prophesy, drive out demons, perform miracles? And I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Jesus is somehow connecting our place in eternity with what we've done. Sarah, are you saying that we work for our salvation? Absolutely not. But I think here's what Jesus is saying. If you're truly saved, it will affect your due. It will affect what you're doing. And if you're just skirting on the edge, using God's mercy, It might work. It might not. But my encouragement to you is, and this should freak you out a little. My my, my encouragement to you is fight to live to please him, that when temptation comes, instead of Pavlov dogging it to sin, what you and I ought to do is stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, I'm aching, I'm longing, I'm thirsty, but there's nothing on this planet that that can deal with this. Jesus, I need you, Holy Spirit, I need you, and you need to, 
enter into that moment of encounter with the eternal through prayer and find rhythms of spirituality. I don't know what that means for you so that you can start connecting with the eternal and life swallowing up your mortality. So you begin to taste now what will be forever ours. Because somehow whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. (laughs) If you just keep crying out, your life will change. Your life can matter. Stand with me if you would. Ephesians, last word, verse, Ephesians 4. What I'm encouraging you to do is not live like you're not a Christian. Paul writes this, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live like people who don't have faith, Gentiles. And they live in futility of their thinking. They don't get it. They don't get what's going on in them. They're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them during to the due to the hardness of their heart. Having lost all sensitivity, they give themselves over to sensuality and so indulge in every kind of impurity and a continual lust for more. He's simply saying that Christians sometimes find themselves here. Some of us find ourselves here. What I'm trying to encourage you to do is stop it. (laughs) Right? Identify your ache, your pain. It's in all of us. And say in the face of it, thank you for this, God. It's my signpost that I need you. Help me stop running to the Twinkies when I feel it. Help me stop running to inappropriate behavior. When I, help me realize that if I do that, I, mean, I know you forgive me, but I don't want to spend the rest of my life being an idiot. Help me to reinterpret this as a gift and to say, I need you and to cry out to you because if I cry out to you, you save me. And this is, a, this, this is the virtue of faith, the virtue of holiness. These are not things you can make yourself do. They're beyond human ability. But that's why you need to cry out and pray and seek him and do things, whatever helps you. Come to church, listen to worship music. I don't know what you do. Find whatever you do where you find the spot where the glory comes out. <laughs> Lord, help us. Amen. <laughs> All right, listen to our voices. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly Praise Father, Son, and Holy I pray that you'll have a wonderful day and week. And dads, extra special blessing on you. Remember your sausages out there. Eat them at your own risk. God bless you. You're dismissed. There'll be folks up here to pray with you if you need prayer. Grace to you.